Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're in the third series of in a series or third sermon in a series on that we're calling Together. Right? The Bible never talks about individual Christians kind of living their life rogue. It talks about the church being together. There's such value in that both to you and from you that God has designed. Right? He's designed other people to serve you in his plan, and he's designed you to serve others. There's this mutual back and forth that God has planned, and I'm really thankful for that. The first uh, sermon back on the first Sunday of January revolved around God as our shepherd, and then Danny preached one uh, about gathering in worship. And you'll actually see those rhythms of Gospel Hope Church on that back wall. So that's kind of what we're working through. And since Danny's going to be gone next week as well, we're going to skip learning studies. I'm going to preach on serving in teams, and then Danny's going to finish up with learning and studies the first Sunday of February. So that's kind of the plan. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, as we think about living in community, that's our theme for this week. I love these verses uh, as we think on these things. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks Oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together and we'll study God's word. God, we are your servants this morning for Christ's sake. Thank you for who he is and what he has done. God, it is our prayer today um, for those who are hurting, those who are sick, or we think especially of Cheryl Gagan, who uh, even the other night was nearly on death's door. Lord, we pray for their healing. We pray for strength and grace from you that only you can provide. We, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in ways that are beyond what any human being can do, but then also equips us to comfort others. Lord, would we be a place that, that doesn't just send texts and messages that say we're praying for each other, but that we really would. That we would take action to love and comfort one another. Lord, we pray for the Brooks especially, that you would bring them through this time uh, and, and back in, in a good way soon. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of this week, for uh, little Emerson Hope who was born and the, the joy that the Davises are having and that we're sharing in. Lord, we pray for Andrew and Bethany Smith as uh, there's a baby, hopefully this week, uh, that will be born. And so uh, we know that you are the, the good father, and we pray for your care in all those places. Now, as we go into your word, would you allow me to be your voice, to share your truth, and would you open our hearts to receive it, to understand it, and to believe it? 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I saw an interesting article a few weeks ago on the Gospel Coalition website or they're, uh, called The Folly of Looking for Community. It's a really interesting thought. Community and culture are kind of buzzwords in our society, aren't they? Every business, organization is like, how do we create a culture? How do we develop community? Will a ping pong table do it? Can we let dogs in the workplace and that'll do it? You know, can we put themes on the wall and that'll do it? Uh, can we hire the right people who can make that happen? Can we rename human resources to something else that makes people more excited about being together? There's like all these efforts. It's a big part of uh, American society and culture. And any, if you're a manager anywhere, you, you felt that and, and probably read books on that. Um, but I thought it was interesting, the observations that this pastor makes about community and the church. He says this, when I ask newcomers what brings them to our church, the most common reply is, I'm looking for community. I often wince hearing that phrase, fearing they won't stay for long. It's not that desiring community is a bad thing. The problem is the assumption that community is found, like stumbling upon a hidden treasure. Then he says this, one cannot find community because it isn't something to be discovered. Community is never found, only built. Then he asks this, why do we look? He says, it's a sad irony that in the social media age, more and more people report feeling lonely. Even as we're more connected than ever before. So he says, what gives? The internet, he says, has redefined community in terms of choice. I thought this was a great observation. For most of history, community has been a given. Something bound to your physical location and comprising your neighbors and classmates and the church down the street. You were literally stuck in a community, which forced you to forge relationships with the people you had. But those days are gone. You can now form a community with anyone, anywhere. We now treat community like a stop at Chipotle. You can curate your community just like your burrito, down to your exact preference. In turn, he says, our nation and churches have become more polarized and tribal than ever before. Turning community, he goes on to talk about how we've gotten into a society of bailing on things. He says, turning community into a consumer community has also led to what the New York Times columnist David Brooks has dubbed the golden age of bailing. If community is found, it is just as easily left. Technology, Brooks says, makes it so easy. You can pull out your phone and bail on a rendezvous as easily as you can cancel an Uber driver. And he leaves with this encouragement in Christian community. He says, rather the church exists to remind us of where the fountain of life can truly be found. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the chief cornerstone. He said, let's not look to find a community that fits our plans, but to build the household of God according to his plans. Look at where 1 Peter 4 leads us. It begins by reminding us of why we need community, by saying this, the end of all things is at hand. So here it is. Why is community needed? Because the end is near. I don't know if that makes you happy or sad. I don't know if that makes you you know, excited or fearful, but here's the deal. 
life is short and Christ's return is coming. Or your death is coming. The end is near. And that's true whether you're 70 or whether you're 7. Life is not long, right? The Bible reminds us often that life is like a vapor. It reminds us that life is like a flower, like grass. We have a little puppy now, and we have a four-year-old son, and our grass is suffering. I mean, in a good way, right? Like, we're starting to see the wear spots. We, we built a pile of leaves at the bottom of the slide this fall, um, which was super fun for Timothy. He could slide down the slide into the pile of leaves. It was amazing. But we left them there too long. You know what happens when you leave a pile of leaves somewhere too long? So Timothy kept saying, please don't rake it up. Please don't rake it up. Please don't burn it. So we kept piling the leaves. And then we finally burnt the leaves and got rid of them. And there was this yellow stretch of grass. But I didn't panic because it's grass, right? It'll probably come back if it doesn't end up at the bottom of the slide too many times. If I don't keep piling leaves on it, we'll get some rain on it. Praise the Lord for the rain, by the way, huh? The rain and the snow came down. Some of you are like, I hate snow. I understand, but we need water. So, so here comes the water and spring will come and, and we'll mow it and fertilize it. I mean, grass even grows sometimes when I just spray grass clippings back on top of it. It's not even great skill on my part. It's grass. And God says we're like grass. It comes and it goes. Our lives are quick. First Peter is written to a bunch of people who were suffering and they were scattered. And life was hard. And we get a bit of an echo of Hebrews 10 that Danny preached of, that we should gather more and more as we see the day approaching. This is truth that our hearts need. That as long as life seems, life is actually pretty short. That can be a real encouragement to us when we're weighed down, when we're frustrated, when our parenting is not going like we hope, when our souls are discouraged by the same sins and the same struggles. Isn't it hopeful to remember that the end is near? The Bible tells us some things about the end that Peter's referencing. The first is this, is that it, it won't be a quiet end, it will be a destructive end. If you read Jesus' accounts in the Gospels or the book of Revelation, this is a terrible day of the Lord, the Bible tells us. When God comes to judge the world and make all things right, it will not be quiet. It will be destructive. It's not just a destructive end. The Bible tells us it's an accountable end. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We must all appear, the Bible tells us, before the judgment seat of Christ. You know why it's important that the end is near? Because each and every one of us in this room is going to stand before God. None of us is avoiding that day. None of us is bailing on that day. It's coming. The end is near. It's an accountable end. It's also a merciful end. Do you ever find your soul just really, really frustrated with the realities of this life? It's a merciful thing that God has given us 70 years on average. It's a merciful thing that the, the frustrated and broken creation won't go on forever. It's a merciful end. It's going to be a spectacular end. Um, I made some New Year's resolutions, as I'm sure you did. And I, I just, I have yo-yo weight. I don't know if you, any of you experience this. I have like a weight range, and I just yo-yo. I've worked hard at it. I haven't worked hard at it. I've <laughs> had good stretches and bad stretches. And there are days with this physical body, I'm going to turn 40 in May, and I've heard really bad stories about what happens after 40. Right? My hip is bothering me a little bit. I'm like, what is this? 
I'm indestructible. But deeper even than my physical ailments and my physical struggles, there's a spiritual pain. There's a spiritual groaning. There's a reality of sin that just eats at my heart and life and soul. Do you feel that way sometimes? If you know Jesus as your Savior, there is a day coming. There is an end coming. You're not going to be in that job forever. Praise God for that sometimes, huh? You're not going to be in that sin struggle forever. You're not going to be in that weight struggle forever. You're not going to be in that broken body and that broken soul forever. There's an end coming. The end is near. Jesus is coming back, and if you know Christ, you're going to be glorified in body and soul. Think about that. The end is near. It's a spectacular end, but look at the verse. It's in everything end. The end of all things is at hand. Everything we know, our careers, our homes, our experiences, even our families, Jesus said, they're coming to an end. It's in everything end. I, I heard somebody say, and I, I've said it many times, all this stuff, right, we're working on a building project right now, and we're trying to get all that figured out, and we've, we've run into some snags with the bank, and we're, Jonathan Griggs and I are working on this thing, and do you know what all this stuff is? I like this phrase. It's premature rubble. You know what your home is? You know what your perfectly crafted career is? It's all coming to an end. We don't have to live for it. The end is near. And that's the last thing. It's a soon end. It's coming soon. You say, it doesn't feel soon. Well, Jesus could come back before I get done preaching. So that would be really soon. Be super soon. We'd never get those live streamers back. They would never get to worship with us again. It'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? But even though we think of our years in long stretches, it's soon for us too. If you don't think that's true, just talk to some people in this room who are past 50 or 60 years old. You know what they'll tell you? They were young yesterday. True? I'll get out on the basketball court once in a while with teenagers. I actually did that this summer. And um, I made a fool of myself. Because my brain said I could do things that my body couldn't do. I mean, it was ugly. And I'm like, I was an athlete not that long ago. And I'm just on the cusp of 40, right? Those of you who are slightly past 40 would say, it's, you're gonna, yeah. The end is near. It really is. Don't get so consumed by what's happening today that you miss the big picture perspective. 70 years in the history of the world is a, it's a whisper. Caleb, how old are you? Eight, right? So Caleb's got eons ahead of him. In a way he does, and in a way he doesn't. The end is soon. So what should we do? Should we hunker down, right? Should we stock up? There's kind of two extremes here. One is like, how do I protect myself from the end? And the other is, how do I get everything out of this life before the end happens? Eat, drink, and celebrate, because tomorrow it's over. Neither of those are the answer. So what does God say next to us? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And we're going to see a description here. I'll come back to that idea. We're going to see a description here of what it looks like to live in the reality that the end is near. 
How does God want us to live? We're going to see four things quickly, and then I'll be done. The first is this. If we understand that the end is near, we live carefully. You see that? Therefore, be what? Self-controlled and sober-minded. We control our physical desires. They don't control us, and we're careful about how we think. We're not just swept along by the feelings of the age, by the opinions of the age. Man, we have more opinions I get lost in all the opinions. We don't have to. We, we don't need opinions. We have the truth. This is what we need to anchor our souls into. What it means to be sober-minded is to understand God's thoughts and learn to think that way. I'm thankful for all the experts we have. I really am. But it is the temptation of my heart to be confounded and confused and and try to figure it all out when God's already told us what we need to know. So we should be careful what we think, sober-minded. And we should be careful how we live, knowing that we're going to stand accountable to God one day. And I think we can all look at ways that our minds get pulled away. I think we can all look at ways that we're not self-controlled in how we live. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us that our bodies are what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. We're his dwelling place. We're where he lives. So why be self-controlled? Because I have a Savior who loves me, and I want to follow him. I have a Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, and I have a God I'm going to stand accountable to one day. So we live carefully, not to impress God, but because God lives in us. It's compelling what Peter says here, isn't it? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. For what reason? You see that? For the sake of what? Your prayers. What is he saying there? He's saying that if we live recklessly, if, if we live unconcerned about our thoughts and unconcerned about our behaviors, then why do we think when we get on our knees to pray, God will hear us? If we're living in sin, if we're living in thinking our own ways, if our minds are untransformed by what God has to say, then why should we think when we go to pray to God that God will hear us? can hinder our prayers. This isn't the only place that the Bible says something like this. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, to husbands, that if we don't dwell in knowledge with our wife, that our prayers can be hindered. That relationship is that important. It says in James 1, 6 and 7, if we pray without belief, with lots of doubt, why do we think we're going to receive anything from God? Our prayers are hindered. It says in Psalm 66, if we indulge and treasure sin in our hearts, God will not hear us. And so what Peter's trying to do here is say, this is important for the sake of your prayers. We are people as a community who walk in God's wisdom and the fear of God. We want to hear God's word. We want to understand it and believe it and do it. And that's at the center of what makes a Christian community. We're not just a Christian community because we gather here every week. We're a Christian community because we believe God's word together. And we want to learn it and know it. And when God says to us, go make disciples so they can learn to obey every command, everything that I've said, that's stuff we take seriously. You can't just live however you want and think whatever you want and be a healthy part of a Christian community. We are bound by God and his truth. And by the way, that means that we're going to have to have some hard conversations with each other. 
Because we're going to start believing what this world is saying sometimes. We're going to start not thinking clearly. Right? You ever had to be like, step out of it. <laughs> You're not thinking clearly. Hey, that behavior, it's not good. I know you think that your grandpa was angry, so your dad was angry, so you're angry, and it's just like a Parker thing. It's not okay. Man, I, I see that love for money that seems to be popping up a lot in our conversations. I just heard from you something that was gossip and didn't need to be said. Why? Because we are bound in God and his truth and what he says about our lives. And that's part of being in a community together. Not only do we live carefully, look at how the verses go on. We love earnestly. See that? Above all, verse 8 says, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Guess what's going to happen in a community? The same thing that happens in your family, the same thing that happens in your workplace, because there's a bunch of sinful people being together. There's going to be sin. And love, the Bible tells us, helps us work through that together. Not to ignore it, not to pretend it didn't happen, but to work through and forgive and cover that, even when it happens again and again. It covers it many times. So look at this love. It's an ongoing love. You see that? Above all, keep loving one another. This is the mark of all true Christians that they're people who love each other. And so Peter doesn't assume that this is just going to start or that it needs to start. He's like, keep on doing it. Keep on loving one another. It's an important love. It's above all ev everything else. Above all, keep loving one another. Jesus told us, and we know this, but it's hard to live. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But look at it. It's an earnest love. Love one another earnestly. You know what this is? This is intentional and energetic love. It doesn't happen on accident. It's kind of like engagement planning. Any of you guys remember engagement planning? I mean, on the whole, this isn't entirely true, but on the whole, most of us as men are not good event planners, right? I joke when, when we've set up meals with many of you, I'm like, I will have my social coordinator connect with your social coordinator. That's code for I'll have my wife connect with your wife. And then they will figure out what to do. Because if I figure it out, every time you come to my house, we're having pizza. Then burgers, and then I'm going to have to go on a weight loss program. See how this works? It's not complicated. But on the whole, as men, we're not great event planners. And we're really not great event planners at, in our early 20s. I mean, how crazy is it in our society that it has fallen to like, people in their early 20s to plan engagements and weddings? What a disaster. So you do this engagement planning. Colleen and I got engaged at uh, Phantom of the Opera. She had always wanted to go. And so that was my plan. And I thought I planned it okay. I booked a nice restaurant, which I didn't really appreciate at that point in my life anyway. But it's what you're supposed to do. Uh, we, we, uh, I got our tickets. And she, did you know we were going to do this or did I surprise you with it? It was a surprise. So uh, she didn't know what we were doing. She just knew we were going to go do something special. And I bought the engagement ring. Only when I bought the engagement ring, I had forgotten an important detail. It really helps to know your uh, soon-to-be fiance's ring size when you buy an engagement ring. <laughs> that would seem simple, but again, back to the not a good event planner. Um, and so bought an engagement ring. And then we planned the night. I talked to her father. That went okay. He didn't say no, so that was positive. 
Uh, I don't know if he said a resounding yes either, but he didn't say no, and so went forward with it. And then we ran into a snowstorm. So we had to drive about an hour or so from Colleen's home for, for, to go to Phantom of the Opera, go to dinner. And it was dumping snow like on the, ro- on the highway between Michigan and Ohio where she lived. Got engaged in Ohio. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons we, no. Uh, so the, the road, the snow is like this deep on the road. And so if you've ever driven in deep dumping snow, we're like going rut to rut. You ever do that if you want to change lanes? So it's extremely slow. And uh, the cool thing was the restaurant was empty, so that was great. And, uh, and so then we, we watched Family Opera, and the whole second half of Family Opera, I'm a disaster. Like, I cannot focus. I'm sweating. I want to throw up. It's awful. And uh, Colleen remembers thinking, well, if he leaves, I think I'm going to stay because I really wanted to see this. So <laughs> if he leaves, he's kind of on his own. And uh, so she didn't know what was wrong with me. I knew what was wrong with me. And uh, we got to the end of it and mercifully ended. The end was near and uh, we got there. And then um, we w- I waited for the whole theater to empty out. And so it was just us. And she's probably wondering why we were still there at that point. It's probably 50 people in the whole theater. And uh, I got down on knee to ask her and I thought, I wonder what's gonna happen with this ring. And, uh, and she said yes, that was positive as well. And the ring fit, it was amazing. But I remember all the effort and intentionality, I still was messing things up left and right, but I just remember how this consumed my thoughts and how, how intentional I was in planning that because I love her. Some of that has not gone so well since. If I applied the same amount of energy and intention to anniversaries and other things, it'd probably be a lot better. But the idea here is that as Christians, in loving one another, it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen randomly. When you start to think about all the things that have to go into planning an event like that, or then you get into wedding planning, but but they're a function of our love for one another, we make the effort. Being a community is not going to happen on accident. Maintaining relationships is not going to happen on accident. Um, Taking opportunities is not going to happen on accident. You actually have to make the effort. We love each other earnestly. You say, what does love look like? Because our society has done all kinds of crazy things with love, hasn't it? I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that well? This comes right out of 1 Corinthians 13. And I thought it was a great chart just to talk about what love is. It means that we're intentionally patient and kind with each other. We rejoice in the truth. We're always, I can't see those little words. There we go. We'll always protect trust, hope, persevere even when it's hard. We're not proud or self-seeking or easily angry. We don't envy or boast. We don't keep a record of wrongs. Love never fails. This is what it looks like to live in community. It's not something you discover. It's something that's built. Third one, in a community, we share willingly. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We knew this family in South Carolina uh, when, we, when we were in college uh, named the Blakes. And I remember the Blakes uh, profoundly because they had a sh- Sunday strategy. And their Sunday strategy was this. Uh, they would always prepare a much larger meal than they needed for Sunday after church. 
And so maybe that was like a, uh, you know, some sort of crockpot meal or Instapot thing or, or maybe it was that they just bought a bunch more deli meat than they knew that they would need and a bunch more chips. But they, it was like this, this couple, I think they were probably in their 50s or 60s when I knew them, uh, and they prepared dinner for 10 every Sunday. There only two of them. And they both sang in the choir. The church was a part of had a choir. And uh, as they were sitting up in the choir, they would kind of like, they had cues to each other. And they were picking people, visitors or people in the church family that they could invite over for lunch. It was their strategy every Sunday because they wanted to give and be hospitable. They wanted to openly share themselves and their life with others. Did you catch that when Paul was reading in Acts? How just open and willing. It's supposed to be a mark of us that we are people of hospitality Romans 12 verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13 verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for in that way some have entertained angels unawares. We're supposed to be open to share. Our lives are supposed to be filled with sharing. What are we supposed to share? Our home? Is your home open? I didn't ask if you have the perfect home. I didn't even ask if you have an adequate home. And I know we're living through COVID and I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be very sensitive to that. So think back maybe before last March. I think we have to be careful to invalidate some of these commands too for a year or more. Is your home open? Are your resources open? My son was watching a, a very inspired Veggie Tales last night and the little character was singing, um, if you have enough to spare, then you have enough to share. You don't even have to have enough to spare. God's called us people who share, who are having other people in our homes, who are, we have our antenna out for needs, and we're just ready. We're not like, hey, check with the deacons. Maybe they can help with that. Dave helps lead in that area, and I'm thankful for that. I hope you give generously every communion Sunday when we have that opportunity, but it should go a lot deeper than that. It should be that we have our antenna out to other people and go, yeah, I can jump in and help there. I remember talking to the Vinickies when they started coming and uh, they said it was their goal to have every family in church over. How many of you have been to the Vinickies house at some point? I want to see hands. Okay, look at this. Raise your hands. Raise your hand high. Okay, don't feel bad if you haven't. Josh is making a list right now back there. <laughs> I bet we've got a ton of people on our live stream raising their hands too. And they've been here since March. Be hospitable to all. You don't have to have a gift of hospitality, although some people do. You should just go, our home is open. Our resources are open. You need a vehicle, we've got a vehicle. We can figure it out. You need somebody to stop by and just be an encouragement? Can I get you anything? You hear about somebody who has COVID. You know, everybody send Danny a text to see if he needs anything. We'll just bombard him. But we're supposed to be these people who just share our lives willingly and openly. And this is dramatically anti-American. We are people of our castle and our segregated bank accounts and our career aspirations and our retirement accounts and, and, you know, I'm protected. And I think we've even exacerbated that in the last year. How do I keep myself safe? How do I keep my freshly painted walls safe? Okay, not by having people over. I'll help you with that. How do I meet my exact budget? Well, maybe you need to rearrange your budget a little bit. See, some people, our stuff is so particular to us that we don't want to let anybody touch it. To some people, we think we have so little 
and, and our place is such a mess and our, our situation is so bad we don't want anybody to touch it. Maybe we should clean up our mess. Make it welcoming. But open your doors. Welcome. Be hospitable. What stops us from sharing? Well, maybe because we're too proud. We're too particular. Maybe we hold our money too tightly. Maybe we're too afraid. Maybe we are too messy. But we should be people who are quick to open up our homes and our lives, to give to meet a need, to sign up for a meal train. We got those coming in droves right now. You see, I didn't know that. We'll get an email out. It's on the Ladies Connection on Facebook. Jump in, help. Find a spot. We should be happy to do that. We share willingly. And I love what it says. Show hospitality to one another without what? Without grumbling. You know what this word is? Without harboring secret displeasure. Can I just tell you something? If you're somebody who, who walks out showing hospitality, you're going to get hurt or taken advantage of or lose stuff or have stuff broken. And, and there is going to be this part of you that has like this, ah, people are going to show up late. You're going to give to someone and then they're going to go on a vacation the next week and you're going to be like, you would never say to them, I can't believe I gave to help you, but you might feel it. God says, just be hospitable. Just give to people and don't grumble. Guard your own heart. Talk to yourself. We share willingly. <clears throat> Lastly, we serve graciously. We'll get into this a little bit more next week, but look at verse 10. As each has received a gift. Let me read that again. As each has received a gift. How many? Who? Every single Christian. I was talking to somebody this morning. Do you know how many people we want to have on the sidelines of Gospel Hope Church? Zilch. Zero. Not one. You know what? You may need a little break, but don't stay parked there. You may not be 100% sure of what your gift is. That's all right. We'll talk about that. We'll give you some options. You'll find out some stuff that are and some stuff that isn't. But every one of us willingly serving, you'll hear us say all the time around here, we want to be what? A place where 100, okay, this is great. We have, where 100 what? That's right. And that's not a Matt Parker or a Gospel Hope idea. That's God saying, I've given every one of you a gift and a place to serve. Each one of you, use it. Don't hunker down. Don't pull back. Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, that's one who speaks for God, one who speaks God's words. I still marvel that God picks us to be his spokespeople, to be his ambassadors, but he did. When you speak with someone else, encouragement, maybe you say hard things, maybe you push them towards Christ, we're speaking God's words on his behalf. If I was God, I would have picked angels. But God didn't. He gifted us and picked us. So speak. Don't be afraid. Some people have gifts. I love this division. To speak and some to serve. Whoever serves, verse 11, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So when we serve one another, we serve in God's strength. He helps us to serve. No matter how behind the scenes, no matter how long, exhausting, difficult that is, God gifts us to serve together. And he's all in and through this service, isn't he? This isn't our service for our glory. It's him working through us. Jesus didn't come to be served, Mark 10 tells us, but to serve. And what happens when we're living this way? Do you see the end of this? In order that in everything, 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You say, I want my life to glorify God. Good, me too. You know how that happens? We live in a holy way. We let him shape our thinking. We live carefully. So I want my life to glorify God. Great. Keep loving each other and do it intentionally. So I want my life to glorify God. Good. Be hospitable. Give. Share. Be generous. You say, I want my life to glorify God. Great. Then serve one another. Don't be on the sidelines. Find your place. We're having a Gospel Hope 101 class tonight. I'm so excited about it. I'm so frustrated. Supposed to have one in November, that got canceled, then to December, then Danny's sick. <laughs> I'm like, ah! And some of you are in the same boat. And part of that is just that I want you to get to know us better and I want you to find a place. Because listen, the end is near. You might have decades. But what does God put in a frame of? Teach us to number our days. We have days. This is Tim, I think he's like two months old. You know what's great about being a new parent? You get free advice. <laughs> right? The, uh, the Davises just had uh, Emerson Hope. Beautiful little baby. This is Tim. He's about, I think, two or three months old at this point. I didn't warn Colleen that I was going to put this picture up. But there it is. And I remember getting all this free advice. But you know what most of that free advice was? And, and by the way, I would encourage um, older people to be wise in the advice you give. But I encourage younger people not to resist the advice. God actually ordered the older and the younger so that we could learn and grow. They're there to help. You say, well, sometimes they just don't understand. Maybe. Or five or ten years from now, you might find out they're right. But I remember the overwhelming advice we got when we were going to have Timothy was this. It goes by so fast. He's four right now. You know what they say about this stage of life? The days are long and the years are short. It seems like this picture was couple days ago, and next year he's in kindergarten this fall. Those of you who've had kids grow all the way up through, you know graduation of, at, from high school comes really fast. Why? Because life is short, and the end is near. And you know what almost every one of those parents and grandparents said to us? So enjoy every stage. I gotta be honest, it ain't always easy. There are days you're like, what did we do? There are amazing blessings along the way. But you know what we do know with Timothy? Our time is short. So we want to make every day count. You know what's true about your whole life? It's short. So don't withdraw. Don't wait till the perfect scenario comes up. Don't try to create or find the perfect scenario. Just say, God, today, what do you want to do in me and what do you want me to do for you? That's what it looks like to live in community. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. It really is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, this is a different way to look at our lives than the whole world does. Neither trying to protect ourselves nor trying to get every ounce of enjoyment out that we can, but actually to, to be intentional and careful to give and serve, to live like Jesus lived. Lord, would you help us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Lord, we give all these needs to you. Thank you for your spirit that, that turns the lights on for us. 
and uh, help us not to get discouraged or live in fear, but to know that you're with us everywhere we go. In Christ's name we pray, amen.